Welcome to Rome Cuny Bible Church, where we desire to become a worshiping community of grace and truth by sharing the love of Christ locally and globally. Good morning again. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And then uh, just something that we can pray for as we pray for the study, as well as we want to lift up Dane Johnson as... um, he had some cows that got out, and so he's on the search for them. Jerry Anderson, I appreciate you bringing it to our, our attention to say, hey, let's pray as a church because it could be a very nerve-wracking and a lot of pressure. So oh, I said, yes, what a great thing. We could pray for our, our brother and lift him up and pray that, that not only they're found, uh, but just uh, rest in the Lord and all that, and we'll pray for the time in God's Word. Will you pray with me? God, thank you again that we could come together. Thank you for allowing us as a church to come together and that we could also ask uh, you, God, on the behalf of one another. And we want to lift up Dane to you uh, and those that are looking for these cows. And just as I know it's been a, a late not a long night, we pray that they would be found um, with no injuries and no problems, just that they would be able to come back to the farm And Lord, uh, thank you for hearing us, that you're mindful of all things, and even in this situation you work. God, as we want to prepare our hearts and minds to hear from you in your word, I ask that you would, that we approach your word humbly, that we're mindful, God, that as you are the author, um, that we come to you asking you, that the Holy Spirit would uh, put upon our hearts and minds for us and how we respond. Thank you, God, that we could go forward in what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, cross through his death and also through his resurrection so thank you for these truths bless the time of your word now in jesus name we pray amen the title of today's message is worth the wait last week we looked in chapter one about how jesus told the disciples to wait and what were they waiting for who remembers the holy spirit good job and so the holy spirit was to come upon them. He said, you'll receive power. And this power from the Holy Spirit would be upon them so they could be His witnesses. And they were just told to go back and to wait in Jerusalem. And that's exactly what we see them doing. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been something that you felt like it was worth the wait? You were told to wait. And then it was hard. But then you're like, I'm so glad I waited. I think about marrying my wife Alyssa and we had to wait and as I proposed to her and we had the engagement and the process man I was like but I want to get married now and as excited and anxious I was so glad and so thankful to say it was worth the wait to see her come down the aisle in her wedding dress and to celebrate and have that covenant between the Lord and her or and I could say this probably as a, a guy, it was worth the wait having my children and knowing through the pregnancy, though my wife may think differently, like you weren't pregnant with the kids. Uh, but when they were born, I could say this was worth the wait. Um, if you've ever driven to Yosemite, uh, we, we come from the south side and we came into the Yosemite and we, this was our first time ever going. People said, John, once you get through Tunnel View, you're going to love it. It's, it's amazing. It takes your breath away. And we're driving and driving and we get into the entrance of the park not knowing that you have to drive a lot more before you get there. And our kids are saying, are we there yet? And we're tired. And once we get through tunnel view and then the valley is before you, you're like, man, that was worth the wait. Well, we see the early church here that they were told to wait and it is worth it because we see how the Holy Spirit 
not only empowers them, but in what that would look like. One of the most important events that we see is coming forward here. My iPad is wanting to talk to me right now. One moment. All right. If you have your Bibles open, Acts chapter 2. And we'll start in verse 1. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll stop there. So kind of to give us that perspective, this is labeled as one of the uh, top three events in redemptive history. The first being creation. As John Calvin said, God created the world to function as a theater of His glory in the drama of redemption. That redemption is flowing from that as we see God's ultimate purpose through not only creation, but pointing to Christ, which is the second uh, of the redemption events, is Christ's substitutionary death and resurrection, which Jesus fulfills and completely satisfies the expectations of the Old Testament. That it's in Christ and Christ alone that we have salvation. And then we see this, the third event, which is the birth of the church, the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. one thing that's unique, though, is why church is different than any other institution or organization in the world. Government, you could say, is man-made in one sense. Uh, other institutions are man-made, but here we see the birth of the church and who started it. It was the Holy Spirit. Uh, that shows us that church is led by God, founded by God, um, going forward. Everything comes from who God is and what He's done that's why it's important for us to remind ourselves that as we gather, it's not just people that have some like-minded interests, that we're people that have this greater purpose, this calling, this oneness that's found in who? It's found in Jesus, and that He is the shepherd over the church. As an elder and other elders come together, we're called in obedience to shepherd, but Jesus is the chief shepherd. So the church is different, and we see that at the beginning, the Holy Spirit came now was pentecost pentecost means 50th part Um, it's one of the jewish festivals that they would pilgrimage to jerusalem to come together and it was always 50 days after passover so we know that jesus at his death during passover it's been 50 days pentecost is here it's also called the feast of weeks and it was a time for Israel or for Jews to be able to thank God for grain harvest, like the grain, grain, um, grains that were coming or from the harvest that would come. And so they were thanking God. And I kind of chuckle because how, how ironic in one sense that the birth of the church would happen when it's time where they're celebrating harvest, and yet God is thinking of a different type of harvest. You remember that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 through 38, and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, he's not talking about grain or wheat. He's talking about the gospel going out, people. And yet here we see at Pentecost, as it's this grain harvest festival where they're thanking God for His provision for harvest. And 
God's saying, hey, let me change the perspective. The harvest isn't so much about the grain or the wheat or what's in the field. It's the people. And this is what I've called you to do, that we need laborers to go out into the field to harvest. And so I just kind of like, man, Lord, you're, you're awesome. Look at that, how it fits. You're answering this prayer that Jesus even said. Um, Pentecost, as Al Mohler would describe, is heaven coming down to earth in this moment. Jerusalem would have been swelling at the walls with how many people were coming from different parts of the nation and even outside of that. And yet, what better time for the Holy Spirit to come upon the disciples for the proclamation of the gospel in that moment? As we read in those first few verses, we notice a few things. First, that if you're taking notes, you could write this down. We see this first section of this chapter the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we have three parts that we'll see in this chapter. The empowering of the Holy Spirit. First we see, and this is no particular order, but there was a visible sign. It said tongues of fire are on top of their heads. It was a visible sign. Now I'm sure if you are like me, you try to visualize that. And I'm like, man, that would be very particular. It would grab my attention for sure. But Fire is very symbolic in the Bible where God's presence is known. For example, in Exodus chapter 3, when God got Moses' attention, what did he use? It was a bush that was on fire but would not burn. And God's presence was there and he spoke to Moses and that got his attention. Or how did God lead Israel at night in the wilderness? It was a pillar of fire. Or I think about when Elijah, the prophet, challenged the prophets of Baal and as he was challenging them to this duel of who, is the, who has a living God, who serves a living God, the prophets of Baal did their thing and nothing happened to their sacrifice. And it was Elijah's turn. And he dumped water on top of this sacrifice, on top of the altar, and was showing them like, hey, I'm showing you the power of the living God. And as he prayed, God listened, and we see how God responded. How did he respond? It was fire coming down, consuming the sacrifice. So fire is symbolizing who in God's presence. And so we see this visualization of tongues of fire on top of the heads of the disciples as of God's presence. But this is also fulfilling of what was spoken about Jesus by John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. When Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist, he said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so this was coming true of the visual or visible presence of the Holy Spirit right there. Also notice there was an audible sound it was a sound like mighty rushing wind. Uh, you guys know a little bit about wind up here with the northeastern wind that comes through. Uh, wind's powerful. It makes noise. You hear it not only through the trees, but you can hear it rushing. You think about the power of wind where it can lift a trampoline from the ground and toss it across the street and into someone else's yard. And you're like, how did that happen? Wind's powerful. Uproot trees. And yet there's this audible uh, sound that's taking place to get their attention. And also this wind is symbolic of the spirit. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means breath 
wind, and spirit. And we can see that this was speaking of the Holy Spirit's presence. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that word for spirit is ruach. And as we see that the Spirit, we also see in Ezekiel chapter 37, which you guys may be familiar with that passage, but Ezekiel has this vision and it's a valley of dry bones. And God told Ezekiel to prophesy, to speak. And then as he did, these bones started connecting back together and ligaments and muscle, but they did not have life. And it needed the breath of the Spirit, or if you would say the Spirit to come upon them for life, ruach. It was that aspect of the Spirit coming upon them. And so you have this visible fire, audible sound, God's presence among them. But also we need to understand the aspect of them able to speak different languages. Read in verse 5 with me. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome. Mentioning the different languages or people groups that are represented. Remember, the pilgrimage was coming on. They're dwelling in Jerusalem. Plus, Jerusalem was a big city in the sense people came. And it says devout Jews, but also proselytes, those who want to be following after God but aren't Jewish. And yet, they were able to say, hey, we hear them speaking in our own native tongue, if you will. This points out to us that the gospel goes out in a universal sense. It's for all people. It wasn't just for Jews. It wasn't just for those who spoke Hebrew or Aramaic or even Greek. This was to show that the gospel, the Holy Spirit's coming upon them, empowering them was what for. So the gospel would go out and fulfilling what Acts 1.8 was talking about, that they would be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 3 says, And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And this was being fulfilled in Scripture that the gospel was going to go out to the nations. And so we see these disciples who did not have the education to speak all these languages, which they may have been able to speak some, but then it was this supernatural ability to speak in these foreign languages. I had the opportunity to go to Haiti a couple times. And at the church that uh, I came from, we supported and helped this uh, missionary that basically raised up uh, Haitian men who wanted to be pastors. And so it was like a Bible, um, Bible uh, uh, in a sense, mission. And so as we taught them at this school, um, I remember going and I had a certain section of scripture that I would teach through and I had an interpreter. But a lot of them actually knew English really well. They also knew French and then Creole or it was more like a Haitian Creole is what they spoke. And they knew it really well. And I'm like, man, you guys are so impressive. You know, three languages and I barely know one. And they're like, well, pastor, I prayed and I asked the Holy Spirit to help me to learn English. 
And guess what? I did. Have you prayed to ask him to teach you Creole? And I'm like, man, talk about schooling me in faith right now. I was like, I thought, I'm like, well, who taught you? And he's like the Holy Spirit. And he literally said he sat down with the Bible, English and Creole, and he heard enough English words that he was able to connect it, and he just started learning it himself. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Wow, this is amazing to see what the Lord can do. And so we see this happening here at the incident Pentecost, the birth of the church, and it can be summarized as this, revealing God's presence for God's glory to proclaim God's message. Let me say that again. Revealing God's presence for God's glory to proclaim God's message. The New Testament always has this way of reflecting back on the Old Testament. And you kind of compare and contrast. And Luke does that a lot, especially in the Gospel of Luke. He's pointing out, like, look at the Old Testament and how Jesus fulfills that. Well, he does that in the book of Acts as well. And our attention should be drawn to a very impactful moment for Israel, and that's Exodus chapter 19. And this is when they're in the wilderness, and they come before Mount Sinai, and God gets their attention by preparing them to receive not only the Ten Commandments, but this covenant-established relationship is being built with them. And in it, he's explaining to them to prepare their hearts, and there's thunder, there's this power, they can't come close, there's fire, and we have this incident where they're getting their attention. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16 says, On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet so that all the people in the camp trembled. It was to get their attention. And now we see in a new covenant, the book of Acts, God getting attention again. But instead of this separation, we see this welcoming because of what Christ has done, fulfilled it. And we see this happening in the book of Acts. Now, before we move on, I want to just stress this because the question comes up, well, what about today? What about today? I mean, how come we aren't having tongues of fire on people's heads or this mighty rushing wind? And do believers today, I mean, is it the same Holy Spirit experience? What's going on? And I think those are valid questions that we ask. But we need to remind ourselves that this was the birth of the church or the Holy Spirit coming upon them. But I have great news for you and I that the same Holy Spirit then we have today, that we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit as believers, followers in Christ. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that do you not know that your body is a temple of who? The Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Or Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. And so, we need to remind ourselves that the Christian, the follower of Christ, has the Holy Spirit. And though we may not have this tongues on our head and rushing wind around us we need to remind ourselves that we've been empowered and remember it's about god's presence to glorify god to proclaim god's message and the same is true for you and i today that god's presence is among us that we get to glorify god with our bodies and we get to proclaim his message and we've been given the bright tools as we'll see and so the same Holy Spirit then in Acts we have today. 
And I'm so thankful that we know that it's not in our own strength, but in whose? In His. And we go forward. Now, we see that some were amazed. And they were like, you notice the word amazed or in awe. And they were saying astonished. And it grabbed their attention. They heard the noise. It says that that drew their attention, like what's going on? And then they started hearing their native tongue being spoken. And they're like, hey, this is interesting because aren't you guys not from there? And you're you're able to speak our language. Uh, My daughter Ada, when she was about two or three, we went to the grocery store and the person in front of us was speaking Spanish. And I know a little bit of Spanish, but not enough to carry on a good conversation. So it's not like we speak Spanish in our house. But my daughter Ada at the time, she thought she could speak Spanish at the store with this person. And so this, that person was speaking Spanish. My daughter started to, in her own way, trying to speak Spanish. And the person just looked at her and she's just like, I'm like, I'm embarrassed now. I don't know about this one. But she thought she could. But what amazing thing that that we're like, man, we could share the gospel like that and be empowered. Or like the Haitians who said, have you asked the Holy Spirit, pastor, to be able to learn this language? And yet the same Holy Spirit that empowered the church we have today. With this, it provided an opportunity. In verses 14 through 36, we read Peter's first sermon. We'll just look at some of these verses, but in time we won't be able to look at them all. But if I could give the synopsis of it, verse 14, read with me there. Now, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what has been uttered through the prophet Joel. So we'll stop there. We get to see this opportunity. He's like, hey, by the way, they're not drunk, but let me tell you, this was been talked about. And let me point you to Jesus. This was an opportunity for Peter. He's like, cool, we're going to use it. And we see how the Holy Spirit empowered him and how he was used. But first, let me pay attention to the person, Peter. We need to not forget, though, just a few weeks before what took place. Peter, one of the disciples, the bold one, who told Jesus that he would never deny him, and yet what took place on the night of Jesus' arrest, he denied him three times. And as he was distraught, we also remind ourselves after the resurrection, Jesus met with him, and three times asked him, do you love me? And reinstated Peter. And so we see Peter who, is, who denied him to becoming a proclaimer of him. And I don't want to overlook the fact that we see how gracious and forgiving our God is. Because here's a man who did something that we could easily say, oh, I would never, and yet it happened. And yet God used him in a mighty way. God is very gracious. Don't ever forget that. Because you and I are worse, I think. I know I am. Lord, I've done worse. And yet you're patient and forgiving with me. God, you're gracious with me and you still can use me. And yet here's Peter who was reinstated and now he's preaching. You may feel like you blew it in your past, like you really blew it. But yet God is gracious and forgiving and He can use us still. Not to be a comfort to you. Not only that, but God uses us in areas that we maybe we're uncomfortable in. And yet He uses us in a mighty way. For some, it could be public speaking. Did you know? 
it's one of the top fears that Americans have is public fe- uh, speaking. They're like, hey, give me snakes over public speaking. Really? Or someone's like, I'd rather face a scary clown than public speaking. <laughs> but yet, God used Peter through his weakness to proclaim his strength. And God does that with each and every one of us. For me, I never thought I would be like the guy as a preacher or someone in front of people because at school I hated it. Whenever there was class presentations, man, I hated it. I was like, use someone else. And I like flumbered, flubbered through it and just I hated it and couldn't wait for it to be over. But for some reason, when it comes to God's word, like that stuff goes away. And I think I remind myself because it's not anything I have to say, but it's God's word. And that what a great thing for you as well is that you don't know the platform, if I use that term, but how God would use that in your life. But again, it's not your strength, it's in His strength. It's not based on who we are, what we've done, it's based on who God is and what He's done. And you don't know the opportunities around you, but yet we just need to be willing. And here was an opportunity, and yet Peter did it. We also noticed the message that he shared. He shared the gospel with the crowd. He quoted from Joel, Joel chapter 2. Verses 28 through 32, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, and Psalm 110, verse 1. And each one he is intertwining and showing to them not only the coming of the Holy Spirit, he's like, look at the prophet Joel spoke about this day. Let me show you. But then let me also point out who Christ is, the Messiah, that there's no hope outside of him. That is him. That's what he said in verse 36. Let the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He's saying this is the message. This is the gospel. This is what matters. He didn't give a list of self-help things right here. He didn't give them a list of like, well, let me make you feel good. He just said, let me give you truth. He talked about sin. He talked about what Christ has done who was crucified and what took place in his life, that the Messiah, the Old Testament, points to him. This was the message. And so as God provides the opportunity, let me tell you also, God gives a message. We have a message. You're like, well, I don't know what to say. Just talk about Jesus, the gospel, and what he's done. Remind yourselves that who you are, that God who created all things, and because of who we are and God made us, yet we fall in short, we sinned. We rebelled against God and there's nothing we could do on our own to get back to that relationship with Him, but only Christ, the one who reconciled us with the Father, the one who took our place, the one who, whose blood was shed to cover us. It's only in Christ. And yet, Jesus didn't stay dead. He's alive. He rose again three days le- later. We get that hope and the message that's found in Christ alone. We have it. Jesus who saved sinners. And so, you may be thinking, who am I? I would say, you're in Christ. You're His child. He could use you. But what did I say? He's given you a message. And He has also given us a method. Peter, what did he do? He went to Scripture. He said, look at the prophet Joel and what he said. And he quotes him. He talks about how the Holy Spirit would come upon them. He quotes from David, which is pointing to Christ. He quotes from David again saying, look, at he's the one talking about his future king. The son would reign in his throne. And who is that talking about? Jesus. Yes, Scripture. A, w- a wise thing that's always been said to me 
is you don't need to recreate the wheel. When it's been done and done right, then do it. Follow it. And that's a great thing for me is that I know who I am and I don't understand how the Lord would use me, but I'm called. I don't know what to say other than what God has told me, His message. And the method is that's found in His Word. When you look at it, you're like, John, that's so simple. I know, right? But the same is true for you and for me. God's Word is sufficient. We have all that we need today. We have God's Word. It's enough. We have God's presence as the Holy Spirit is with us. He empowers us. We have all the tools that you need. Have you ever tried to fix something and not have the right tools? Oh, I have. Sometimes you could get by, but most of the time for me, it takes way longer. And man, if I had the right tool, I could have done it way better and faster. God's Word, He's given us everything we need. We have the proper tool. We see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4, through His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So Peter is saying, you have everything you need to succeed as a believer that pertains to this life and to godliness. Or another way to look at it is God has thrown us softballs to hit. Like we got it before us. I signed up to join or play on the church's softball league and I got to play last week. And I'm so thankful it's not fast pitch because probably couldn't hit anything. But man, the softballs come, you're like, okay, there's a chance at least. I may not hit it, but at least there's a chance. God's Word saying, hey, I've given everything you need so you could succeed. 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Saying, hey, I have everything given to you to fight, fight and face temptation, to live a life of godliness, one that helps us in this life to be partakers as we know that it's in Christ as divine uh, partakers in this divine nature. We have everything. Acts 1.8 tells us that we will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 2, is that Jesus even said when, the, the, uh, when you'd be questioned before, He says before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say, even during the time of persecution. We see that we have everything we need to succeed. We have a message. We have a method. God's word. You may be saying, but who am I? Say, but you're in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You're set up. So let's go. So as we see the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we see the sermon of Peter, and now we see the response. And we'll end with this, verses 37 through 41. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That phrase is saying like the words pierce through them. Like they're like, oh wow. Like this is getting our attention. Conviction. 
And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to Himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we see the response. There was conviction. What shall we do? You're telling me about Christ. He is the Messiah. How do we respond? And we see through faith and repentance. Repentance isn't just changing direction, which it is. It's saying, hey, here's the course and it's doing a 180, but it's also changing in the course of direction and faith in Christ. Saying, not only in the negative, away from sin, but in the positive, I'm coming to the Lord. Like That's the turning in the direction. Faith is believing in Christ and what He's done through His life, death, and resurrection. It's a response. But also notice, baptism is mentioned here. Baptism is a sign of salvation, but it's not required for salvation. Remember the thief on the cross? When he was on the cross and he said, believed in Jesus, what did Jesus respond to him? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now he didn't come down from the cross and get baptized. He couldn't. And so baptism is a sign of salvation, just like wearing a wedding ring is a sign or a symbol for marriage. Baptism is showing of the inward change that took place. So it's an outward showing of the inward change. And we see that going hand in hand in the New Testament. Here in the book of Acts, it was like, okay, let's do this because we're showing that what took place. But also baptism shares and shows the oneness that comes in Christ. As you go down in the water, it's showing that you share in Christ's death, that you're raised up in the water, you're raised up in Christ in His life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we see that showing and representing that unity through the act of baptism. Which I would encourage you, if you have not been baptized, let me know. Love for us to be able to plan a baptism as the weather's getting warmer too. It's like, let's, let's do it. Uh, what a great thing to celebrate. A life that's been changed. The gospel at work inwardly. But we have that. But the last point I have for you as the response isn't just that there's faith, repentance, and baptism. But notice that it says, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received His Word were baptized, and there were added to it that day about 3,000 souls. When the Gospel goes out, goes out and there's a response, the response isn't just then and now or at that moment. It's also what's going to happen after that. As we see the church just blowing up, it's growing we have to remind ourselves it didn't just stay there. All those were sent out, whether they stayed locally, but they shared the gospel. Disciples make disciples. Discipleship is multiplication. It just doesn't stay by it with oneself. And so as they went, as they shared, I should say, Peter's sermon, those disciples also went out. And that's what we're called to do. We don't stay within our own confines ourselves. We're called to share the gospel. And so, we see the empowering of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that the disciples had then at the birth of the church we have who's empowered us to proclaim God's Word, to point to Jesus. We have that great truth. And yes, there needs to be a response. 
There's a response to people you share with, and there's also a response even today. Have you responded to the gospel? Do you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you turned from your sin and follow after Jesus? Praise the Lord. But if not, I'd like to give you an opportunity. As we transition, we're also going to have a time of communion. And then, as we know, that we're called to do this in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so as we do this, we've got to reflect Man, this is what Jesus has done for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we would be counted the righteousness of God. That in Jesus, and only in Jesus, is our forgiveness of sin. And so, as we have a time of communion, it's for the believers. That's what is, who's called to remember. And if you're here today and not a believer, it's one of those things where you can't partake in communion, but I'd like to say, well, I'd like to invite you into the family where you get to. And so as we have this time, it's not only having the right heart where we reflect about what Jesus did, we remember, but we also see the seriousness of our sin. That our sin is costly and it's offensive to God, but we see the magnitude of His grace. Though our sin is great, God's grace is greater. It was poured out on, on, on us. It was given freely. And so we have in our hands, and if you need elements, raise your hand if you didn't grab any. Um, we have Ed uh, in the back hill and Mike, so keep your hands up while I'm talking, and that way we could get some into your hands. But we have the cup that symbolizes Jesus' blood. We have the bread that Jesus told to break and have as a symbol of His body. And each is to remember but we also know that we're called to not do this in an unworthy manner, meaning make sure that we're in the right place to partake together. That we realize that we just don't do this out of routine or ritual, but we do this to reflect on the magnitude of God's grace, the seriousness of our sin, the greatness of His salvation, to rejoice that our sin has been paid for and the hope of heaven. Will you pray with me, church? God, thank You for this day and thank You for Your Word. Thank you for the reminder, not only that we see it for the first century church and how it started with the Holy Spirit, but in our lives today, that the same Spirit then we have today, that you've empowered the believer to go forth, to remind ourselves that you are with us and you'll never leave us nor forsake us, that there's a message to proclaim and it's to glorify you, God. And so as we do this together, Lord, as we have this time of communion. Help us also reflect on what that means for us, that our sin is serious. And if there's anyone here today that has not put their faith in Christ, that they would do so, that they would say, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you, God, that you're gracious and forgiving. As I look to Jesus and what he's done on my behalf, I'm so unworthy. Jesus, thank you for taking on my sin. Thank you for covering me through your blood that was shed on the cross, knowing that I can be forgiven. Help me to turn from my sin and follow you. Thank you, Jesus. And I believe not only you lived and you died, but you rose again from the uh, grave three days later. You are alive, and I believe that. And we're called as believers to remember, and that's what we're doing right now with communion. So we partake together to reflect on that. Jesus, we see the seriousness of our sin 
the costliness of it, the greatness of your grace. Lord, help us to have the right attitude, the right reflection. If there's anything in our life, Lord, that you would come it up, that we would say, I'm sorry, God. And we rejoice in what Jesus has done. Thank you for today. In Jesus' name, amen. As William plays, uh, we're going to have a time and we'll just reflect and we'll just quietly go before the Lord and we'll partake together. If you'd like to take the top layer for the bread. And Jesus took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. And we're called to take and eat and do this in remembrance of his body that was beaten and bruised on our behalf, that he endured on the cross for our behalf. Let's partake together. As we open up the cup, Jesus took the cup and passed it around. And he said, as a symbol of his blood that was shed, knowing that there needed to be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sin. But Jesus' blood, his sacrifice was once and for all. It is sufficient. Let us partake together. God, we thank you as we think even the rock of ages cleft for me, how you covered us, how you protect us, how you watch over us. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that covering, the reminder, thank you. As a church, Lord, we want to reflect on your great truth and what does that look like. Thank you. As we had the time of remembering, Lord, help us again, not just in this moment as we leave here, what Christ has done to celebrate the fact that our sins have been paid for and now we go forward and knowing what does that look like as we talked about the church starting and the Holy Spirit thank you for as we receive the Holy Spirit as believers as followers help us live a life that's bold Lord a sense of urgency knowing that though who we are God you use us thank you that we have your word we have the gospel that we're called to share to be witnesses what Jesus has done. May we be bold in that and thank you for the method. We have your word and we go to your word. I pray for us all, including myself, Lord, this week as you go before us, as you know what 
it's gonna has taken place and what will take place we run to you remind ourselves that you go before us thank you god thank you for your great truth would you bless everyone love you in jesus name we pray amen thank you for listening and if you would like more information please visit rcbcbellingham.com